The wealth tech revolution is now. Wealthstack provides bolder technology strategies and powers a new generation of growth-oriented advisors. Join us in Florida, May 21st to the 24th, and get 20% off now with our discount code WEALTH20. That's WEALTH20, W-E-A-L-T-H-2-0. And be sure to search Wellstack to find out more. Welcome to the Wellstack Podcast. I'm your host, Shannon Rossick, the Director of Wellstack Content and Solutions. In this episode, I'm joined by Tim Welsh, the industry expert who somehow manages to know everyone and be everywhere all at once. <laughs> so today's topic, we'll be taking a deep dive into the five trends shaping wealth management in 2023 and beyond. Tim, thanks so much for joining me. Thanks so much, Shannon. Look forward to our conversation today. So I honestly need to count how many media engagements we've done together. I think at minimum 10, right? You know, it's usually video and we've done many over the years, but so thrilled to have you on as a podcast guest this time around. And I'm looking forward to the conversation. As I said, I think uh, you've got your finger on the pulse of the industry. So it's great to be part of this program. Well, so do you. So let's get right into segment one then. And you know what's coming first. Stats all, folks. So, Tim, I want to throw out to you 6.5%. It's the current inflation rate in the U.S. and obviously one of the biggest economic challenges facing all segments, really, of the population. And one of the more profound statements I've heard actually came from Microsoft CEO um, Satya Nadella around the current state of the economy and technology. And he said, digital technology is a deflationary force in an inflationary economy. Like my mind was blown when I heard that. But in your opinion, why is technology such a deflationary force? Well, I think on a number of levels, uh, first of all, you know, it gives such productivity back to the economy. Um, And in terms of being able to do more with less and really drive innovation, obviously, the technology and innovations and enhancements through the years have been quite profound. And I'll just give you a quick example, Shannon. The um, the price for televisions, if you think about when it first came out in 1950s or whenever to today, in this pers- terms of buying power, they're roughly 99.19% lower. So that's almost a 100% uh, reduction in terms of the cost of television in terms of buying power from $1.1950 to $1.19, I'm sorry, in 2022. So that's just a, one example of all the major electronic components we work with. You look at the efficiencies that arise from digital technologies, and it's quite clear that it has been proven through the decades to be a deflationary force, just in terms of what things used to cost when they came out to what they cost today. So I think that's one level there going forward. Uh, and also you have to kind of think in terms of you know the whole macroeconomic world that we live in. You know, we've had inflation, we've had deflation, you know, back and forth, the cycles of the economy go up and down. But I think through it all, we've seen a steady upwards shift in terms of the, um, uh, you know, the lifestyle that we've all been able to live. So um, I kind of look at inflation as, you know, just part of the status quo, but definitely agree with him on that idea that digital technologies can definitely bring us back to um, level par in terms of the costs that we're actually paying for a lot of the, these different goods and services going forward. And in terms of our space in particular, when it comes to wealth management, how are you seeing technology be a deflationary force as well? Well, just I think through the trading world that we live in, uh, when I first started this industry back, I won't tell exactly when because it was a while ago, but you know, <laughs> stock trade was somewhere in the terms of 500 to $600 just to trade 100 shares of stock. 
to now, which is, of course, it's it's zero. It's free. Um, so that's just the commissions have gone away as digital trading technology has become more efficient. Um, same thing with basis points in terms of asset management. Uh, you're seeing uh, these index funds or these ETFs, you know, from what was 200 basis points to do an actively traded mutual, actually managed mutual fund to uh, almost like several basis points for an index ETF. And that's just purely the um, efficiencies that arrive from being able to digitize a lot of the activities that involved in investment management and trading and in our world. Um, so you can sort of just see from those two data points, you know, how that technology has really reduced the cost of doing business. And frankly, it's kind of shifted the conversation away from, you know, um, uh, what you're actually paying for. I think what the technology did was unbundle advice from the transaction so that you could actually just take the transaction down to zero and then realize this is what advisors do. This is the value they provide. That's why I, as a client, I'm happy to pay 1% because of the dramatic impact they have on my financial life. And so I think that clearly aligns the value advisors provide instead of just bundling them into the transactions as we've done in the past. So uh, just an incredible amount of opportunities there that we've seen in, in our space, uh, just for those couple examples. No, that's great context. I appreciate that. So shifting gears a little bit, want to get your thoughts on 68% and specifically wealth managers have begun to embrace AI, no surprise there. Um, but as we've kind of seen in a recent study, 68% of wealth management organizations are using AI tools to support decision-making processes. And this obviously ties nicely in, into the five trends that you've been touting for this year. And no, you can't talk uh, chat GBT yet. We're saving that for later in the conversation. So overarching AI themes. You know, the one aspect for advisors that AI is actually helping them is more in the natural language processing. We're seeing them able to use some of the chatbots to be able to, you know, text clients and schedule meetings or automate the various processes to, you know, bring together the items an advisor would need based on the CRM. So there are some pretty cool applications out there for that uh, more, not so much in terms of predicting which clients are going to be doing this or that. So I think there are some opportunities for A to be leveraged. So in summary, the idea around um, advisors needing big data to be able to use AI and some of these tools you know, we're just not there yet. Again, we say that, you know, advisors are smaller, 100 households, sort of the small data. Uh, so while we're not there yet, there's lots of promise with some of these tools that we mentioned. Absolutely. And this next trend, I'm following pretty closely because it's very interesting to me, but we are seeing more and more tech hubs, if you will, originate within asset managers. What's ultimately driving this change and maybe name some of the firms who you think are doing it right? Well, it kind of goes back to what we had talked about earlier in terms of the cost being ripped out of the investment management <laughs> value chain from technologies. Um, we've seen a lot of the distribution of asset management products and services being replicated by the technology pipes of some of the platforms out there. So I think the asset managers have been studying that and realizing, you know what, instead of the technology disintermediating us, why don't we originate our own technology and go direct to the advisor ourselves? Uh, so that is absolutely a trend. We're seeing it loud and clear. Um, we actually created a new category, as you know, in the wealthies this year for that specific approach because we know it's coming and is much more prevalent than before. Um, so one one firm that comes to mind is um, Jeremy Grantham's GMO uh, Asset Management. Uh, they've launched a new product called Nebo, Needs-Based Optimization. And what that does is it bridges the gap between the financial plan and the portfolio construction. Uh, so they've got some amazing 
uh, analytics and algorithm approach, a little behavioral finance sprinkled on top to make it a really um, compelling way to integrate uh, what advisors do from a workflow point of view from taking the financial planning recommendations and then making that into the actual portfolio itself. So uh, that I think is one example of a great um, application there. Others are focused around decumulation. So we know that you know the baby boomers have all um, piled up all their money through the years. And now it comes time when they retire to actually spend it down. But how do you do that um, really has big implications on what that portfolio should look like. So the asset managers have great insights into this and they've been doing this forever and they are now bringing some of these platforms to market. So uh, I think that's a very big trend. It's gonna just get started these days based on how they're looking at the marketplace. And I think you'll see a lot more of that coming down the pike. And I wanna dig into this a little bit more because what is this ultimately and what do you think it'll mean for competition though within our space? If these asset managers are ultimately creating their own tech, what does that mean for everyone else? Oh, exactly right. It really starts to redefine, you know, from the workflow point of view and an advisor, where do they start? You know, I always ask, I always kind of point to the fact that, hey, I come to my office, I have to log into something when I walk in. What is it that I'm logging into? Is it my portfolio accounting system? Is it my CRM? Is it my custodial workstation? Is it uh, my investment portfolios? You know, I think whoever sort of figures that out and has the most compelling way to shorten the workflows and make it more efficient for the advisor to run their practice and work with clients, that will be the platform that wins. And I think we've seen this, you know, going back and forth for the longest time as the custodians roll out bundled solutions, then the tech platforms bring in more capabilities. Uh, now you can open accounts directly from some of these um, uh, portfolio management systems and CRMs. So it really is a interesting time. So I don't think the answer is here just yet. I think it's going to get very exciting. Uh, but ultimately, whoever re reduces friction in the system, whatever that entity is, they will be the ones that people log into and become the operating system for uh, investment management, financial planning, and what advisors do. Uh, so a great point, good question. Uh, I don't have a, a verifiable point just yet, but we're definitely keeping an eye on it. I was going to say, you and I will be following this very closely. So we'll have to do a whole other episode once we do have final answers yeah. on this. But I wanted to dive into OSJ. So another pivot here, but it's another trend I know you're watching closely. They're obviously under pressure to do more, but they're also becoming more powerful, which is interesting. And today, however, really to remain relevant, competitive in an ever-expanding ecosystem of quote unquote, I'd say supported independence, you know, OSJs offer far more than just supervision and oversight. And what we're seeing is many of them becoming brands unto themselves. So in your opinion, what are you seeing in terms of them, um, how they're becoming more powerful and what are the advantages and value adds of joining an OSJ or super OSJ? Yeah. Tremendous developments here. And I kind of go back to the old, um, econ one-on-one <laughs> you know, the whole supply chain, you know, um, manufacturing and distribution. Uh, if you think about the broker-dealer world, you know, they've always been great at bringing in products and services, creating platforms for advisors to tap into. But through the years, as that business model has become much more competitive and the spreads have shrunk, now the costs of servicing advisors, supporting them, giving them tools and practice management, all those wonderful things they need to do better as a business, these broker dealers have been pushing them down into regional hubs all along range, like you said, around the OSJ. 
the Office of Supervisory Jurisdiction, which sounds kind of like a formal term, but really what it is, it's just a node on the grid. It's a distribution point. And as the broker dealers have been saving their costs by pushing service support down to these regional levels, they're creating their own monsters. And by that, I mean, in a very good way, monsters <laughs> is a good way, is that they are now getting a size, uh, maybe up to a thousand advisors, you know, billions and billions of assets. And now all of a sudden, the distributors through from the manufacturing point of view are now becoming more powerful in terms of being able to go back to the mothership and make demands for cost reductions because they can easily switch and leave the broker dealer and go out on their own and become an independent RA. In fact, we've seen some tremendously large ones just recently do just that. Uh, sort of like the uh, Coca-Cola bottlers or the Budweiser distributors, you know, they get into these battles between manufacturing and distribution. And typically the distribution has more power than manufacturing because the manufacturers are creating the commodities, whereas the value add lies in that distribution. So based on your question and your premise there, absolutely, the OSJs will become more powerful as they grow and as they become their own entities, as you mentioned, their own brands. They can do uh, so much more and grow. And in fact, a lot of them are building their own tech stacks, so they're not even relying on the broker dealer for their tech stacks. You know, we call this advisor support platform. Uh, and that really has a big impact on as an advisor, whether I affiliate with the big brand of the mothership or, you know what, this regional version of it too. In fact, they've got more tools and resources and support. I might as well just join the local level. So that creates a very new dynamic between uh, the broker dealers and their offices. Uh, so definitely keep an eye on that. Um, I think that definitely, again, goes back to our technology story where it makes it easier, take friction out of the system and you can do it at the local level you don't necessarily need all that support. And now you have a whole nother category. In fact, back to our Wealthies discussion, Shannon, we have a new category for OSJs in the Wealthies in terms of what uh, those support platforms can be and what their innovations they're driving. So very exciting stuff. Looking forward to um, watching that one as well. I oh, love it. Two wealthy shout out already. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but that's that's interesting point you make, especially around OSJs building out their own tech stacks. And it goes back to a similar question I had. What does that mean for broker dealers then in terms of of competition? And you know, what can they do to differentiate themselves if they want to continue to be players? Well, the first answer is scale. Just go out and buy everybody else and get as big as you possibly <laughs> can. So you can drive down your costs and you can then compete. Um, and obviously we've seen that, you know, clearly. The consolidation in the broker dealer space has been quite remarkable. It's not going to stop. It'll continue just because the mid-sized firms, I think the tweeners, you know, they're the most challenged because they have of size, but yet they're not big enough to get that scale. And so the question for them is, do I build it or do I join it? And that's a tough place to be because building it means investing, raising capital, uh, and trying to do so much more to bring everything up to par and compete and try to get that scale of size? Or do we just say, you know what, let's just join the larger entity, merge in. And I think you've seen a lot of that, particularly in like in the mid-sized segment of the broker dealer industry. So the other aspect, they what they could do is again, sort of think about going independent, you know, creating their own RIAs. And we're seeing that as well. So this continued consolidation and then fragmentation in the industry is fascinating to watch and see. And so I think we're sort of in that point of the cycle where the top end is consolidating, the midsize is exiting, and the smaller ones are breaking away. So um, if somebody can figure out you know, the ultimate platform, because again, every, every independent broker-dealer representative is independent for a reason. 
they don't want to be cookie cutter. So there'll always be that pushback in terms of bringing me into one massive, large entity to losing that personal touch that I want or need to those smaller ones who can actually provide that. So, so again, it's early days, but if you look at the brokerage industry from the last 40, 50 years, uh, these trends are continuing that we've identified in the past. Absolutely. So on to trend at number four, you know, we've obviously seen a huge explosion in marketing automation over the years. And you stated in your recent article that even the best, most powerful lead generation systems can't replace that human to human interaction at the final point of sale. And there's been a massive effort in our industry to replicate this human element of the advisor uh, and the client experience in a digital way. But it obviously seems like we have a ways to go still, right? Well, I'm going to steal a quote from you, if that's allowed. <laughs> you said that marketing is digital, but relationships are human, if I recall correctly. Yes. Um, and that's exactly what this is all about, where you know the process of organic growth of advisors bringing on new business usually came from the referral uh, generation abilities. But now that we know that clients are older, they're decumulating their assets, as we mentioned earlier, uh, the pace of referrals are not replacing the pace of withdrawals. So they have to re-engage on a digital program. Marketing automation can help uh, and it can provide efficiencies and reach. But ultimately, when it, you know, the, every link in that chain, particularly is the last one where you sourced a lead online, they downloaded your white, their, your white paper, they came to your seminar, they're very interested, they have a need, you know, they just inherited some money. Uh, and then ultimately they need to be matched with an advisor, either in your business or it's the advisors who started this lead gen themselves. And advisors have not been able to really convert these leads because they never had to do it before. Usually it's a referral, the phone rings, they answer it, set up an appointment, meet them face-to-face, and they have a great chance of closing. But now all of a sudden they're going out into the vast digital waters where these prospects have never heard of them before. They never met them before. They don't know anything about them. So they have to go online, check out their profile, watch their videos to see if they're smart about various things, check out their LinkedIn page, all those digital footprint interview things we do for a restaurant or for a hotel or, or a, a, a doctor or, or whoever professional you're looking about. This is new to the advisor world. It's great that we have these platforms, but ultimately, you know, the next step is for advisors to get good at selling again uh, and being able to convert digital leads because it's a new process. It's going to be over the Zoom most likely. People don't want to call you and talk on the phone or uh, come to your office. Uh, so that's really where the opportunity lies that if advisors get good, taking in this training on their own one-on-one you know, -on -one abilities to convert leads, that's really where the rubber meets the road and where new business will be won. Um, so that's why I think you're absolutely correct. Marketing is digital. It's going to be because that's how we get everything these days. Uh, but again, how do you close the loop with that relationship process? Um, and that's where the opportunity is. And I'm super curious to see what's going to happen, obviously, with the new SEC ruling allowing testimonials and, and reviews, if advisors are actually going to embrace that. Uh, because like you said, it's kind of a natural workflow for us as consumers to dig around, do our own research, and then reach out. You know, we we want to do it 
on our own terms. So very curious to follow this and see if firms like Amplify or Wealth Tender kind of trying to become the the Yelps of wealth management, if you will, are actually going to be beneficial for clients who are trying or advisors, I should say, for, that are trying to differentiate and obviously get their name out there based on uh, referrals and, and reviews like that. Yes, without a doubt. And that is the, the, the opportunity uh, because the advisors do such a great job with their clients. You know, the, all they have to do is literally send out a survey to their clients say, hey, what do you like about me? <laughs> what did I help you with? And they'll write back, well, you helped me do this. And so great. Um, and all of a sudden now you have a testimonial. And those are now legal to use in our industry, whereas they weren't before. I mean, every other industry has been able to use these except for financial services. But now the SEC has modernized their approach. And of course, there's disclosures and you want to check with your compliance attorneys and so forth. But you can use those and all of a sudden you have great you know, social proof that the advisor is doing a great job with clients. And if you read that and you're searching and you come across that, all of a sudden the trust is being built online. Whereas in the past, advisors weren't allowed to use those type of communications. Uh, so absolutely, the best, most forward-looking advisors are digging deep into this and how they can do it. And I think you're right. The Yelp for advisors has not been written yet, but it will be soon. And so that's the, again, sort of like the Uber drivers. You know, if you ever go to LaGuardia Airport and there's big signs that say, do not accept rides from these people. And they show a photo of them. Guess what? Now with Uber, you are getting in rides with that person because they are now being vetted by Uber and the platforms. And all of a sudden you have trust where you've never even seen this person, but you know, it came from this digital platform you're happy to get into their car and let them drive you around or <laughs> stay in their homes. I mean, it's quite remarkable how we've come so fast so far to, you know, we're dealing with strangers, but yet the platforms uh, create the trust and the social proof that you're happy to do that. Exactly. And so to wrap this all up, uh, this is number five of the trends. And honestly, this could be a whole separate episode. I mean, these all could, but you and I have talked about this before around tech paralysis analysis, uh, but it should be much easier now for advisors as our industry really strives to solve integration challenges and work towards an integrated digital ecosystem. A lot of big words in there. So can you explain what that actually means and what are the benefits? Uh, yeah, and I, all you have to do is just pull out your phone and look at it. <laughs> I'll tell you everything <laughs> you know. Because uh, if you think about what that phone is doing, the operating system is allowing you to customize your experience. Whatever you want on there, and you just go to the app stores, you touch your finger on it, bring it down, and guess what? It works with everything. There's no integrations, there's no APIs, or maybe there are, who knows? but it just works and it's all been created because the vendors are coding themselves into that ecosystem. And so what is meant by an in integrated digital ecosystem that you control is that you create your own environment. There are platforms out there like Invent that can do this. And all of a sudden you can customize the experience you want based on the role that uh, the person plays, whether it's an advisor or back office person or compliance, they can, tailor their experience, but then let the vendors code to their operating system that they've created themselves. So it's kind of a very future state of how the integration challenge uh, will be overcome. Uh, because right now what we're doing is integrating here, API there. Everyone's got different data standards. Now advisors are creating their own data lakes and data warehouses and trying to cleanse it. And then all of a sudden, oh, now my data works. I can shove it through all my systems. That's just so overhead intensive. 
Uh, and why would everyone want to create their own ecosystem when there are platforms that can do this for you? So that's sort of what is meant. That's the vision. Uh, we're starting to see it happen in real time now. Um, and that's sort of a different way of thinking. If you are looking to spin up your own tech stack as an advisor, you don't think like that. You think, oh, I just need a CRM. Oh, I need a planning tool. Oh, I need to do some reporting. Oh, there's some rebalancing and some risk tolerance stuff. And oh yeah, I've got nine custodians. Wow, you've got a big pile of stuff uh, that's not integrated, it's not cohesive. So that's the wrong way to build a tech stack. The new way going forward will be to have the ability to, to take advantage of an, of an ecosystem that's already built for you, just like the iPhone or the Galaxy or the Nexus or whatever phone you've got, and the place, the Google Play or the, I, I, the App Store, bring all this stuff, it all just works. That's what we meant there. So that is going to be the future of tech integration. And it's again, it's early days, but definitely we will see that in the near future. And we were debating, you know, best of breed or all in one. Is that going to be the death of those and the death of that conversation then if if we're able to pull this off in our industry? Um, no, because if you have your own ecosystem, then you can bring in best of breed of whatever you want. Uh, I think everyone's so frustrated with the integration challenges of having to swivel from one screen to another to, you know, do a workflow that um, the all-in-one vision may be better. So I don't have seven systems I'm supporting. I have one, but of course I'm making trade-offs and advisors like things like the way they want them. And we've seen so many attempts at the integrated tech stack that comes from a custodian or a broker dealer um, that none of those have really gotten uh, gained traction because in, what I've seen is that advisors will unbundle your bundle every day of the week because <laughs> they want it <laughs> the way they want it, you know, and that's, that's, a, that's a challenge if it is hard coded and brought all together. Uh, but ultimately the, the, the vision is to have that one experience that you log into and everything is there for you. Uh, so you can have best in breed in one. So it's kind of a hybrid approach. Uh, so, uh, but again, I think the, um, you know, the ability for uh, the tech vendor community to innovate quickly and nimbly do it, um, we'll get there sooner than we think. Well, that is encouraging to hear. Well, actually now we need to move on to segment two of the episode. So you know what's coming now. It's Ask Us Anything, where we've gone out to the social universe and asked them to submit questions they want answered by you, Tim. So we obviously have to give the people what they want. And we did have a question around direct indexing. And this user said, I'd love to hear Tim's thoughts on the trajectory and adoption of direct indexing among mid-size RIAs in 2023 and beyond. You're in the hot seat. I think it will definitely escalate exponentially. Uh, and the reason I say that is that what we're really talking about is personalization at scale. You know, I want what I want. I know I got this index 500 ETF or whatever it is, or mutual fund. But you know what? I don't like all these different things that come with it, such as, you know, um, the typical ESG factors, or you know, they're not supporting in a you know an egalitarian environment uh, or or societal issues. So give me something I can use that will work and tailor to my expectations and what I want. And historically, that's been done through these massive platforms. You know, minimum account sizes of five million dollars. But now we're seeing direct indexing at scale, where through powerful technology and algorithms and rebalancing tools and fundamental uh, different focus on how investment management can be done, these products and platforms are now available, you know, under $5,000 per client. You know, that's the minimum account size. So it's here today. It's already happening. 
the challenge then for advisors is to sort of rethink how they position their investment management services. Um, are they just putting people in the buckets and saying, okay, you're 60, 30, 10, 60% stocks, 30% bonds, 10% cash. And I go out and find five different investments to put in each one of those buckets. You know, that's kind of a blunt instrument approach to tailoring it to what people want to do. And back to sort of our um, asset managers entering the space with their algorithms and their approach and their redefinition of risk, not so much being volatility, but really not having what you need when you need it. You know, that's a much bigger uh, behavioral finance approach to risk management and risk tolerance and so forth. So uh, that has to change first. So as soon as the mindsets of advisors and how they work with clients change, they can rapidly adopt it because the tech is here, the products are here, the um, uh, infrastructure, it's all here. And of course now transactions are zero, so you don't have to worry about trading costs. Uh, so for that, that person who asked that question, the answer is soon, but it really depends on the advisor mindset. Well, that is a great answer. And I did promise folks we are all over the map uh, with questions and, and topics in this in this chat. So we did have one around private equity. Um, we're seeing what could be compared to, I guess, a symbiotic relationship in our industry where wealth managers are investing in private equity and private equity firms are investing in wealth managers. And in light of the recent news of um, REA aggregator focus financial being valued at $4.1 billion, is there an argument to be made that integration is better than aggregation in terms of long-term value? Uh, of course. And by that, I mean, integration would be if you're in a consolidator and you're out there buying firms, you make them adopt your brand and your systems and your platforms versus the aggregators who are just out there buying these multiple firms and just making them you know, be part of the your organization not having to give up their brand, not having to change their text. I think that focus example shows the fact that being a publicly traded entity where you don't have a brand, it's just, again, a loose affiliation of stuff. They've been at it for a decade or so. And now they're, I think that what they're realizing is that the stock hasn't gone anywhere. It's kind of flatlined. Uh, so the premise there is that, you know what? Private equity loves cash flow. Private equity mm -hmm. loves predictable earnings year after year which basically is the identification of an RIA, advisory firm, wealth management firm. So they like that and they are able to be able to then go get their, tap in their capital and purchase it. And so the, also there really is only one focus. You know, there's really only one of those things out there that's publicly traded. So it doesn't surprise me at all that that's what's happened. Uh, but I think long-term you need a brand. Uh, the integrator model is going to win. Uh, while every advisor's I independent for a reason. Ultimately, once they play it out, you know, I think they realize that same question the broker dealers have. Do you build it or do you or do you join it? And um, I think with more competition, more costs, you know, it's just become more challenging. I think uh, these entrepreneurs are going to say, you know what, I want a place where I can still extend my career. My people will be taken care of. Uh, my staff will have jobs and predictable. And my clients will have a better experience. You know, every one of those reasons why you would sell your business to a larger entity is contained therein. So uh, definitely for long-term value, the brand is where it's at because that becomes a unifying force, centralization, economies of scale, and you get all the benefits. And that's why I think uh, based on this one transaction that we're seeing, which hasn't even happened yet, by the way, um, that could be sort of the future of the business. 
No, makes sense. Well, I appreciate you being put on the spot and uh, your insightful answers. I know that'll help a lot of folks out, but we've come to our final and probably my favorite segment, stack it or whack it. So I'm going to throw out a few technologies, not necessarily wealth tech related, and you tell me if it's worth the hype or or not. So stack it or whack it. So first one, uh, because I am determined to work in horses to the majority of my podcasts, um, but I know you have horses in the family like myself. So I want to talk horse tech. And I came across this crazy head collar called Nightwatch, which actually contains multiple sensors. So you can monitor your horse's vital signs. It can alert you via text, email, however you want. If there are signs of distress, which is kind of amazing. And you're starting to see things like this crop up everywhere, especially in health tech and ultimately wealth tech, where you're gathering all this, as much data as possible to make informed decisions. So, you know, something like that for your horses stack it or whack it. Oh, I want to invest in this company right now. (laughs) I I say that is because, you know, obviously vet bills are extremely high. Uh And Uh so if you can, you know, hold off on that, if you don't know if your horse is sick or not, but, but ultimately the only way you can actually tell if the horse is fine or not, is you got to get in your car and drive to the barn and take a look. And so that's, that becomes, you know, a real challenge, you know, if it's three in the morning or whatever it is, and being able to have a monitoring system like that, um, tremendous integration of all these great health and wealth and tech and all this good stuff applied to a hobby, if you will, or a, or a sport that can be extremely expensive. And so this really changes the game for a lot of it. Yeah, we have two horses and I can definitely say that I want to invest in this company. All right. So stack it for the night watch head callers. <laughs> yes. I'll buy, give me two. <laughs> you and me both. All right. So number two, I I promised we would talk about chat GPT. Is this it for the human race, Tim, or are we going to stack this? (laughs) Uh, No, I mean, this is a fantastic experiment. Um, And how smart were those folks who just said, you know what, let's just unleash this thing and see what happens. And all of a sudden they got tremendous real-time user feedback on how it's being used. And of course it's not perfect. There's a lot of limitations and Everyone says, well, I just had this idea. So I turned chat GPT loose on it and it came back and it was okay. You know, it wasn't perfect. There's a lot of errors in it, but it just kind of shows you the um, the potential. In the Wall Street Journal today, article about Sports Illustrated is now having AI write the articles. Wow. Um, so I don't think it's the end of the human race, but I think you know, just, <laughs> just like the, many careers and professions have changed dramatically because of new technology innovation, it doesn't mean that they're going to go away. Like TurboTax did not put the accountants out, you know, WebMD, the doctors or, you know, LegalZoom, you know, and ultimately the robo-advisor, as we know, never put the professional out of business. What it does now is all those platforms just came behind the scenes and now makes the professional even more powerful and efficient and wise and makes better decisions. So I think ChatGPT, you know, may trim the bottom tier of content writers <laughs> to do <laughs> sure stuff. but i mean with the explosion of, of of every sort of content out there you know there's no shortage of good content so people who are good they'll be fine uh in fact you can actually leverage yourself being able to say hey let's go ask chat gpt to start this thing and then we can take it from there because a lot of it's the the basic you know filling in this filling in that uh and again if you can make them much more streamlined and efficient I don't see it any different than anything else that we've ever seen out there in terms of technologies doing what humans can do, but now all of a sudden humans are elevated because of it. So um, I'm I'm going to say 
Uh, we're going to stack it. Yeah, I'm not going to whack that one. I like it. All right. Well, two for two on stacking it today. I love it. Our conversations never disappoint him. So thank you for humoring me on this. And feel free to tell listeners where they can find out more about where you'll be next, what you're working on, and more about Nexus Strategy. Yes. Thanks so much, Shannon. Great program. Uh, you're doing a huge service to the industry, bringing this all together. So congrats oh, thank on you. that. Um, Nexus Strategy is uh, online, nexus-strategy.com. Uh, I've got my Twitter feed, at Nexus Strategy. Uh, all my articles are up there. You can click on them and learn more. And um, definitely a conference goer. So <laughs> go take a look at all the conferences coming up. Looking forward to WellStack for sure. Um, and of course, our industry awards program, The Wealthies, where we recognize a lot of these programs we just talked about, that's in September. So you'll find me there. Fantastic. Thank you, Tim. And if you're looking to stay ahead of the technology status quo, don't miss our WellStack event, part of Wealth Management Edge, May 21st through 24th in Hollywood, Florida. Tim will be there, so you don't want to miss him <laughs> at that. And be sure to follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter. Thank you all for listening and have a great day. The Wealth Tech Revolution is now. WealthStack provides bolder technology strategies and powers a new generation of growth-oriented advisors. Join us in Florida May 21st to the 24th and get 20% off now with our discount code WEALTH20. That's WEALTH20, W-E-A-L-T-H-2-0. And be sure to search WealthStack to find out more.